The reading this morning is from John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, 
I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Privacy has become one of the big issues in our society in recent years. Uh, With the growth of the internet, uh, people's private information isn't always guaranteed to stay private. Uh, Almost every week we hear stories about companies or government organisations who have accidentally released all of your confidential information to everyone in the whole world, pretty much. Uh, A few years back, you might remember that there was a whole newspaper in the UK that closed because of a phone hacking incident. They'd figured out how you could actually hack telephones and listen to phone conversations and listen to recorded messages. Now, more than ever, people are able to find out about us. And you may not want them to. You may not want them to be aware of this information. And it's not just that people will know this information about us, it's what they will do with the information about us that has us worried. So it doesn't matter if someone knows my credit card number, it only becomes a problem when they start using my credit card number. That's when the difficulty arises. It's not simply the knowing, it's what they do with the information. Now one of the things that becomes obvious as we look through uh, this section of John's Gospel is that Jesus knows people. He knows what goes on in their heart. He knows what goes on in their minds. But this isn't some kind of invasion of privacy that people should fear. In fact, far from it. You shouldn't worry about this at all. It's actually reassuring that Jesus knows us. And that's what we'll see in this passage that we're looking at this morning. Now, before we jump into this section of John's Gospel, we need to make sure that we're clear about who the Samaritans are. It's kind of central to understanding this particular passage of John's Gospel. Uh, We need to understand who they are and the relationship that they have with the Jews. There's a conversation that will take place between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. So let me give you a brief history of Israel to explain who the Samaritans are. Everyone sitting up nice and straight, please. Arms folded, listening carefully. Uh, Under King David, Israel reached its height. This was the land that they possessed and it was divided up amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. After David came King Solomon and after Solomon, very soon after Solomon, the kingdom divided into two parts. The kingdom divided into the north, which which took the name of Israel, and the south, which took the name of Judah. But the temple was in Jerusalem in the south. So the people in the north, in Israel, had to establish their own worship practices and they set up a place on the top of Mount Gerizim where they would worship God. That would be their pretend temple. That would be the temple that they used. Uh, The section in the south that took the name Judah was uh, given that name because that was the largest tribe that was part of it. Now, Pay very careful attention, this will be in the quiz, okay? Uh, The northern kingdom of Israel was invaded by the Assyrians in 722 BC. The Assyrians came in, took the entire country of Israel, the northern part of the kingdom, into captivity and left a few people there in Israel 
who ended up just intermarrying with the other tribes and the other nations around them and intermarrying with the Assyrians. They kind of became the half-brothers of the Jews, the Judah in the south, and they took the name Samaritans. But they were hated by the people in Judah. They were seen as traitors for intermarrying and heretics because they didn't have proper religious practices. They weren't coming down to the temple in Jerusalem. As far as the Jews were concerned, these people didn't worship the right God in the right place in the right way. It would be fair to say that the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was not good. So with all of that in mind... This is where we meet the Samaritan woman. Jesus stops at this well. He's travelling north. Jesus is travelling from Jerusalem to get back up to Galilee in the north. And to do that, he needs to travel through Samaria. So that's what he and his disciples have decided to do. They have stopped at a well called Jacob's Well in the middle of the day. This is the only reference to that name, Jacob's Well, that we have in the whole Bible. And the disciples have headed off into town to pick up some food, the well being on the outskirts of the town. And a Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well and Jesus says, mind if I have a drink? Now to us it seems like an innocent enough question, but back in Jesus' day this was completely unthinkable. Jews and Samaritans both thought that drinking from a cup that belonged to the other person would actually make them unclean, so there's no way that they would do that. Not only that, but men wouldn't strike up a conversation with women in this, in this way, especially a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. So it's unbelievable that Jesus actually says to this woman, can you give me a drink? And the woman points all of this out to Jesus there in verse number 9. And Jesus responds with this funny expression there in verse number 10. If you've got your Bible, have a look at it. Verse 10, Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, when Jesus says the gift of God, he could be talking about eternal life, but I think in the context of the conversation, I think he means the Bible. See, Jewish people would have considered the greatest gift that God gave to his people was his word. That he hasn't left them in the dark guessing what God is like or how it is that they should respond to God. God has revealed himself clearly in his word. So what I think Jesus is saying is, if you knew your Bible, you'd know who I was and you'd be asking me for living water. That's another big Old Testament idea, that idea of living water. Old Testament's prophets talked about it all the time. They talked about God establishing his kingdom and it was going to be a place where there would be living water flowing through, endless supply of fresh water. That's what Zechariah says the the kingdom is going to be like. He says, on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea in the summer and in the winter. Living water, fresh water, flowing across the land all year round. We don't tend to think of water as being a particularly special commodity. We just go and turn the tap on and there it is. It's always there. Well, most of the time it's there. We only start to worry when Warragamba Dam gets below 50%. 
But that's certainly not the case for the rest of the world. Here are a couple of, I think, quite shocking statistics. Did you know that more than 4,000 children die every day for lack of safe drinking water? 4,000 children a day. And one billion people, one-seventh of the population of our world, do not have access to clean water. And that's what's happening in our world today. So imagine what things would have been like back in Jesus' day. Clean water was a precious commodity. So living water, fresh flowing water would have been, well, it would have been like heaven. One of the things you notice as you read through this passage is the similarities between the conversation with the Samaritan woman and the conversation with Nicodemus in the passage just before. There's some pretty startling similarities. The first similarity is that that both the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus get a little bit confused by what it is that Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking about spiritual things and they keep worrying about earthly things. Nicodemus gets confused about the new birth. He says, well, I can't re-enter my mother's womb. And the Samaritan woman gets confused about the living water and says, you haven't even got a bucket. How are you going to get water from anywhere? But there's one very important difference between these two stories, and I think it's why we have them side by side in John's Gospel. Nicodemus was the complete insider. He is a Jew, he is a man, he is a well-respected religious leader, he's well-educated, morally upright. But the Samaritan woman, well, she's the complete outsider. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. She's uneducated, as all women would have been back in those days. And as we'll see a little further on, has a somewhat questionable past. But the thing to notice is that it makes no difference to Jesus. Insider, outsider. Jesus makes the same offer to both people. He offers them both eternal life. It makes no difference to Jesus if you're an insider or an outcast, Samaritan or a Jew, educated, uneducated, pillar of the community, shady past, all irrelevant to Jesus. Jesus offers new birth, living water, eternal life to anyone who is willing to believe. But they do have to come to that point of believing. And the remarkable thing is the Samaritan woman does come to that point. She gets it. She sees who Jesus is and she believes. It takes one more part to the conversation for her to get the point. The woman's confusion over the whole water thing is there. Verse number 13, Jesus says this, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. But did you see how she responds to Jesus? She says, I'd love to have living water if it meant that I didn't have to trudge out here to this well every day. That'd be fantastic. And Jesus throws in, again, what sounds like a completely left-field comment when we're talking about living water and eternal life. He says... Go and get your husband. And the woman answers, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands and the guy you're with now, 
he's not your husband. Now, it could be that this woman was just very unfortunate and had five husbands who died, but it would seem that that's actually not the case in the story. It seems more likely, shall we say, that she has a a questionable past. But don't misunderstand what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying this to embarrass her or to make her feel guilty. The purpose in saying this is to say that he knows who she is. He knows this woman. Even though they've never met before, Jesus knows this woman. He's showing that he is God and that he knows what's going on in people's lives. And the woman recognises exactly that. She doesn't run away embarrassed that Jesus has pointed out these things. She recognises that he's someone significant to, to know all of that information. And she starts by saying, you must be a prophet. If Jesus were suggesting to go and get her husband, then what the woman says next sounds like a completely left field comment. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I think what she's saying is, because you're a Jew... I bet you're going to tell me that I have to go down to Jerusalem to worship. Is that right? And then look at what Jesus says, starting in verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worshipping God, Jesus said, it's not about mountains and temples. True worship will true worshippers will worship God in spirit and in truth. They will worship God with their whole hearts, hearts that have been changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. They will worship God in truth, in the way that God says that we are to worship him. We will live the way that God intends us to live. We will worship God on God's terms. I love the way the conversation ends. After everything Jesus has said, if I can paraphrase, this is a bit complicated, the woman says, but when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus says, you're looking at him. And the woman races off into town to tell everyone that the Messiah is sitting out at the well. Now, time doesn't permit to look at what the rest of this chapter says, but let me point to one thing. The disciples come back to town with the food, and there's another confused conversation where Jesus is saying one thing and the disciples don't get it. But look at what Jesus says to the disciples in verse 35. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. 
I think the harvest that Jesus is talking about is not the crops that are out there, but the crowd that are coming out of the town to see Jesus. I think Jesus has pointed to the people coming out on the road because we're told that the woman went back and they all came out to see the Messiah. And Jesus is pointing at the crowd and saying, look, the fields are white for the harvest. Here's the crowd that wants to enter into the kingdom. Now that must have been a bit of a shock to the disciples this despised group of people who are now coming out of the town, they probably would have been thinking, time for us to get going. We don't want to hang around with these people. And Jesus says, this is the harvest. Eternal life is for everyone who believes. I think this is one of my favourite episodes. This one and John chapter 9 are my two favourite episodes in John's Gospel. But this has some pretty practical application for us today, doesn't it? First thing has got to be this. We don't worship God in places. We worship God in spirit and in truth. The point Jesus made about not worshipping God in Jerusalem is a lesson that we need to keep learning today. Jesus told the woman at the well that that we would worship God in spirit and in truth. And it's not a matter of temples or mountains or sacred buildings. It's not a matter of worshipping at special times or in special places. We are to worship God with our whole lives. We are to worship God in our homes. We are to worship God in our workplaces. We are to worship God in our social lives and in our families and with our friends. Now, don't get me wrong, meeting together as Christians is an important thing to do. But people sometimes have the idea that worship is a thing that happens for one hour during the week and all the rest of the hours in the week are mine and I can do as I please with those. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. We are to worship God in spirit and in truth and we're to do that 24-7. But the other practical application for us is Jesus' offer of living water is for everyone. Because everyone needs it. Irrespective of who you are, irrespective of the life that you've lived, irrespective of your background, you may be a respected Pharisee like Nicodemus, but you still need to come to that point of believing in Jesus. You may be a Samaritan woman with a questionable past, but you still need that living water. And all you have to do is believe believe who Jesus is and recognise that he has the gift that you need. Jesus doesn't set some standard that you need to attain. He doesn't say, look, if you can get yourself up to this level, then come back and see me. That's not it at all. He doesn't say you need to perform at a certain level before I'll even consider accepting you. No, Jesus' offer of eternal life is for everyone, for anyone, who is willing to believe him, to trust him, to follow him. Great news for us and great news to share.